If you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As we turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as I've alluded to, and I want to really reiterate, and we're going to spend all of our time tonight in exactly one verse. And it is the verse that sets the stage for the whole rest of the chapter, and it is the verse that now is the commentary on what the Apostle Paul has just finished saying at the end of what we call chapter 12, where he says, and I will show you a more excellent way. The context of this is spiritual giftedness. So the Apostle Paul goes through all of this explanation about being gifted in spiritual ways. He speaks of prophecy. He speaks of those tongues or languages. He, he speaks of these things which should bolster and build up the church. And he says, and I will show you a more excellent way. So the true context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is found at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is the more excellent way. And as the Apostle Paul begins, he simply says that if you were to do all of these other things, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but I have not love. And he goes on to say, I'm as a sounding brass, a clanging cymbal. If I do not have the one thing that's most important, the supreme thing that is above all other things as far as giftedness is concerned, and let me be very clear here, you can be a gifted theologian and be loveless, and you're a sounding brass. You can speak in tongues and have not love, and you are a sounding brass. You can speak forth prophetic things and have not love and be a clanging cymbal. You can know your Bible cover to cover, and if your goal is to beat people with it, You are as a sounding brass. The supreme thing in all of Scripture is the agape love of Jesus Christ, exemplified to us by what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. Everything else that we are to be and do and act like and act out everything that we are as believers should be filtered through and be a product of the love that we have for one another, the love that we have for God, and it is a very specific type of love that is in view. And so we're going to look at that love tonight. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. For your great love, wherein you loved us, that you sent Jesus into this world to die for us while we were yet sinning. Lord, no greater picture 
do we have than the cross of what real love looks like? And our world is sorely in need of that love. It would be the answer to all that ails us. And so, God, we ask that through your word you would speak to us tonight. Pray that you change our our motivation of heart. Lord, many of us don't possess the love that we should have. Lord, some of us are operating in functional bitterness or discontentedness, maybe even some hatred in the room tonight. God, help us to understand love and to love like you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Supremacy of Love, part one. In John chapter 13, if you were with us in our study in in that particular chapter, Jesus had gone out and he begins to speak to the disciples. And he says, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, then God will also glorify himself and glorify him immediately. And he says, little children, I shall in a little while no longer be with you. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so now I say to you a new commandment. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know. All men, humankind will know this one thing, this supreme thing. This is the one way that the whole world is going to actually know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Not if you agree on every line of doctrine. Not if church looks one way versus another way. Not if you have pews or you have chairs or if you believe that colored lights are of the devil. Not if you have a King James Bible in your lap. Not if you like the New Living Translation. Not if you believe in the rapture of the church or don't. And by the way, each one of those things has a level of importance. But let me make it very clear. The loveless church does not represent the true and living God. I don't care what else you get right. Because Jesus said so, the world is actually going to know that we are his kids, his disciples, by the way we love each other. By the way we function in the agape love, wherein he has first loved us. And so much of the church thinks that it's about other things. And in fact, if you were to try and think of a single word, if you were to take God out of your Bible, if you began in Genesis chapter 1 and you removed Elohim, and if you were to insert anything else in its place, there is actually only one word that you could put in there that would make any sense, and that would be love. In the beginning, love. Do you see it? Because God's story is actually a love story, isn't it? It's him so loving us that he sent Jesus into the world that the world through him would be saved. It's not God exercising his sovereignty, though he is sovereign. 
It's not God showing us his holiness, though he is holy. It's not God impressing upon us the Ten Commandments, though the Ten Commandments are good. It is that God so loved mankind that Jesus came. And through that love is the only way that we have a relationship with God. So love really is the supreme thing. And I do not believe it can be overstated. Now there will be those that are, well, what about the law? What about all the commands? What about this and what about that? Notice what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's basically saying, to paraphrase it, if you had every single spiritual gift available to mankind and you operated in those spiritual gifts without love, they are useless. Because let's put it bluntly, if you've ever sat around, any of you ever been to an all cymbals orchestra? Any of you ever been to an all gong orchestra? Any of you like to sit inside of a tin can while people beat on the outside of it? You get the point? It is as a noisy symbol, a clanging gong. In other words, it's actually painful. It hurts. So the Apostle Paul is saying, if you were the most spiritually gifted people on the earth and you possessed all the things that God would have for you, but you do not function in love, those gifts are functionally useless. Now, does that mean that God can't use less than perfect people? Of course not. But it does mean that we need to keep the main thing the main thing and the one thing the one thing. And that is God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 says this. And if you want to turn there and you have a highlighter, you have a pencil and you want to underline it, I want you to notice this. Beloved, this is John, the apostle, if you will, of love, the one about whom he was actually known as the one whom Jesus loved. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love, check it out, does not know God. For God is love. You see, you can't take the love of God and pull it out of your relationship with God and, and then impress upon everyone else just his sovereignty and his holiness and his law. You have to keep law. The, the law is the way that we understand our behavior. But the way we exercise that behavior is in love. The way we actually perform our duty is in love. The way we relate to each other about God's sovereignty and about God's holiness is in love. You can't pull the love out. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. To make the full and complete payment for our sins. To erase your debt and mine 
to take my sins and wipe them out, God says, writing through John, that was an act of love. It was not an act of simply God's sovereign plans coming to pass. And this is so important because if you make God less than loving in the implementation of the gospel message, you have missed the point. God so loved us is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of our relationship with the Lord. But if God so loved us, verse 11, we ought also to love one another. In other words, the story of Jesus is a love story, amen? Do you see it? I know it's the middle of the week and people are Christmas shopping, but do you see the love of God here? Because this is important stuff. Because I bump into an awful lot of defeated Christians, Christians who cannot walk in the joy that God wants for us, that do not understand what it really even means to have a relationship with the Lord because they think God is nothing but a giant bag of rules. And while he is holy and while he is sovereign and he has given us his word to govern the way that we conduct ourselves in this world, the thing that he cares most about is how you love. That's the thing. And that's not because I say so. That's because your Bible says so. As does mine. That's his manifesto, if you will, as God loves us. If you were to just simply take most of Scripture and you, you tossed it out, but you left in these love passages, you'd still have the heart of the gospel. If you took out all the direction that we receive in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Galatians chapters 5 and 6 and all the book of Romans says, and you just get down and boil it to a simple fact that God loved me and Jesus came into this world to prove it, then you'd have the heart of the gospel. And the rest of the things that need to change in our lives would be changed by the love. Now again, make no mistake, I am not saying that God has no standard. God has a very high standard. But that standard is always undergirded, it is overshadowed, it is is connected directly to God's love for us. In that sense, love itself is the ultimate spiritual gift. And if you really look at the context of these three chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14, you're going to see something. That in chapter 12, Paul is basically chastising the church for their lack of love. He's saying, you're you're so worried about these things that you're not being loving to one another. In chapter 13, he's actually going to define it, and we'll look at this in two parts as we finish the rest of this chapter. And chapter 14 actually shows us what love looks like when it starts working. So these are very important to our behavior as the children of God. And in that sense, the gift of love is more important. It is the more excellent way. It is that agape love. It is, in essence, saying in all of these things, if you really want to be spiritually gifted, 
And that's why when somebody comes to me and says, oh, I don't have any spiritual gifts, I, I will say to them, do you love? Because if you love like God loves, that is the most supreme spiritual gift. It is the supreme spiritual gift. People have different ways of expressing that. So people can express love through using administration. People can express love through teaching the Bible. People can express love through speaking in languages that people wouldn't normally understand. People can express love by using the gifts of help. People can express love by giving. People can express love by being missionaries. People can express love by taking care of the needs of others. People can express love in all these ways. But the fact of the matter is, each of those things is a way for us to express the love of God. That's all they are at the end of the day. So don't get hung up on what you can't do. Understand what you can do. Which Jesus said, John said, is love one another. Love people. Can I tell you that Jesus did not come to save buildings? Jesus did not come to save countries. He did not come to save monetary systems. He did not come so that we would be perfectly civilly governed. Jesus came so that we might have life and that life abundant, and he died to prove it, giving us his love. That's why love is so important to us as as the body of Christ. In order to get this, we kind of have to define love, because here's the plain and simple fact in our culture. Our culture has not a single idea of what love actually is. Amen? Amen? I'll give you a little test. Go ask people what they love. And they're going to give you all kinds of answers. Money, car, food, dogs I get, cats I don't understand. Sunsets, I love Disneyland, I love sports, I love sports heroes, I love television, I love dolphins, I love beavers and redwoods, and we use the word love for everything, amen? I love hot dogs, I love baseball, apple pie, and grandma, amen? So when we use the word love, we have to be very careful about what type of love that it is that we're actually expressing. Because in our world, the most commonly confused thing is actually sexual desire or lust. So when someone's walking around, and if you happen to be a man and a girl walks by and you go, wow, we would say, I think I love her. When actually what you're saying is, I lust after her. She's good looking. But we use the word love. And in many cases, that's actually supplanted our understanding of what real love is. So it becomes something that is chemical. It becomes something that is molecular. It becomes something that is actually hormonal and has nothing to do with real love. Because love is actually not selfish. Love, for it to be defined as Scripture defines it, means that it is selfless not selfish. 
It means that it's other-centered and is not centered on you. And in fact, it's not chemistry and it's not a response to your DNA. I've talked to countless guys. Well, I just love her so much. And I asked them to define what that is. Well, I think about her constantly, and you know, I just remember, and she flipped her hair, and it was just like I saw her in the moonlight, and you know, so it's like one selfish thing after another. So what you're saying is, actually, you can't control yourself. Well, yeah, I'm out of control. I, I just love her. I, no, no, that's actually not love. That actually is contrary to what the Bible says is love because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, a whole bunch of things, and oh, by the way, self-control. So when you lose self-control, you start to get to that place to where it has become something other than what God is saying real love is. Your Bible is very specific in how it speaks of love. Love is not chemistry. It's not molecules in your brain. It's not hormones. It is not something that you feel. It is something that you are because real love is actually selfless. We use the word, the term altruism. It means that in spite of a potential even for negative things to come your way, harm to come your way, that you so care for that person that you are willing to die for them in the strictest sense. You see, but now we live in a world where love gets blamed for everything. Well, I, I just loved that car so much I had to have it. You can see how that's not actually love, amen? That's you responding to the euphoric feeling of if I have that car, then Girls will actually like me if you're a guy. Or if I have those clothes, then that guy will actually really be attracted to me if you're a girl. That's not love. It is a type of love. In other words, you can look at the genetics of it and you can almost become confused. You start thinking like Tina Turner back in 1984. What's love got to do with it? It's just a second-hand emotion. You see, we can confuse attraction. We can confuse desire. We can confuse an awful lot of things with what real love actually is. It's not physical. It's not logical. Those things become a part of what real love is in marriage. But prior to marriage, that's not love. That may shock some of you. I'm probably messing with some of your dating ideas right now. But physical stimulation, infatuation with somebody whom you look at and you find desirable is not love. Not so far as God's concerned. This is a completely different thing in your life. And here's how we know. Because real love is not selfish. It is not centered on you. It's always centered on the other person. 
So I have a little test for you. If you happen to know an atheist in your life, the next time you meet that atheist that you know in your life, ask them a very simple question. Do you believe that you are a good person? And then if they answer affirmative to that, ask them why. Because it makes no sense if Darwinian evolution says that love is simply a feeling. It's a set of hormones. It's something you think in your brain and it is molecular in that sense, then being good makes no sense to an evolutionist. You should be as bad as you can possibly be and take absolutely every advantage you can take because that would be what's best for you, for your survival, for your genes to continue. You should have the most amount of husbands and the most amount of wives and the most amount of stuff because that would be what's best for you. You see, that type of thinking is exactly what goes with leaving God out of the picture. But if we truly believe that God governs the things that we believe as Christians, then love has to be looked at from God's perspective, not the world's perspective. I was talking with a guy a number of months ago, and he was just going on and on and on and on and on. I, you know, we had had multiple conversations about his relationship with his girlfriend, and I mean, he would repeatedly say, well, I just can't help myself. I just can't help myself. I just can't help myself. And I'm going, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And he's going, no, I can't. No, I can't. And I said, well, what's the problem? He says, well, I like it. I said, exactly. That's the problem. It's selfish. You are doing what you like, not what you should do. I said, look, you have to change the way you love. You cannot say that you love your girlfriend before marriage the same way that you love your wife as a believer after you're married. Those are two totally different things. And so I want to look at this tonight. The cross is the perfect picture. When you look at your Bibles, and I'm talking both Old and New Testament, there are four Greek words that are used for love. Those four Greek words we do not use in the English language. We use exactly one word, and that word is love. But in the context of your Bible, it is very important that you actually read in context what is being said there. Because the words that are used are important. They actually have meaning. They have context. They have syntax. In other words, the way words are used one with another. The first word, which is not found in the New Testament at all, by the way, except in the negative, you will find estorgos there, and it's only found twice, is actually just affection. It's the type of affection that you would have For an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, maybe if you're not really close to your brothers and sisters, or maybe even a close friend that you've had for a long time, you would say that you storge them. Storgeo. You would actually have deep affection for them. Which is good, right? We're supposed to like our friends. Some of us have family members, and I think we could all agree that There are certain family members that we kind of sort of love. 
It's a different kind of love than we actually have maybe for our own spouse or our own children. Amen? If you have children, say amen. Because you love your own children very differently than you love your Uncle Freddy. Whom ran over your cat. Sorry, I'm on a cat thing tonight. That word is found exactly twice. The second kind of love, which is really easy to define, it is is that type of love that is connected to your hormones. It is a strong physical attraction and in fact produces a physical response in both men and women. It's what you see in that romantic portion of your being. It is obviously a part of every healthy marriage relationship, but it is a completely different type of love from what Scripture is talking about when we say the supreme thing is love. Because you can have strong physical attraction towards anyone who is actually attractive. So it it has nothing to do with any depth of love. It doesn't even have anything to do with friendship. It can simply be a strong physical attraction towards someone. So if you deem someone to be handsome or you deem someone to be beautiful, they are physically attractive. The word eros is the word that you would use to describe that type of love. And from it, we get the English term erotic or erogenous. But I can tell you this. You're not erotically inclined towards football. Amen? You might like football a lot. You might have some storge towards football. But you're not romantically inclined. So it is a completely different kind of love that's in view when you use that particular term. That word is never used in the entire New Testament. Never. It's only used in the Old Testament. So the only way that we even know about this particular word is in reference to the descriptions of physical love that are all found in the Old Testament. So when someone comes to me and says, well, I just really love, you know, I just can't resist. For a Christian, that is simply hormones. That is physical attraction. And it is going to be a part of the love that you have towards someone eventually whom will be your spouse. But it's not even found in the New Testament at all. The third type of love, which again is real love, but it's a very specific kind of love, is phileo or phileos. And it is that deep friendship that abides over everything. It's the type of friendship that you have when you've gone through battle together. It's the type of friendship that exists between a husband and wife. It is the type of friendship that is actually necessary within marriage. It's actually the largest component part of your married life. Eros will be a part. There will be some storga, very little amount of it. So all three are necessary but it's not the type of love that's in view in 1 Corinthians 13. 
You see, when you look at these types of love, and you look at the way God is trying to get us to understand this, when, you, when you're in a marriage relationship, you're going to have to be really good friends because things are not always going to be driven by arrows. There are going to be times when you're going to look at your spouse and go, I'm not sure I know who you are. Maybe something happened and you're having a little bit of a tiff or an argument. But what do real friends do? Real friends say, look, I'm not going to let anything disrupt our relationship. You understand that there is part your problem, part their problem. You come together, you make it right, and the friendship is repaired. So there absolutely is storga, there absolutely will be eros, and there absolutely will be phaleo. But your Bible... Over 95% of the time, when it uses the word love, whether it's in the Hebrew and it uses ahava, or it's in Greek and it uses agape, is talking about the very love that's in view in this passage. Completely unconditional love that is defined by the way Jesus loves us that is defined by why God sent Christ into this world in the first place, which is defined by the name of God, which John said is love. God is love. He's using agape. Why is that important to us? Because that's the only kind of love that 100% of the time will be appropriate when we're talking about how we should use our spiritual gifts in this world and how we should live our lives as children of God in this world. You see, because I could run around all day and say, I really storga you. I have deep affection for you. And then when you do something that disrupts that deep affection, I can say, well, see ya. Or... If we happen to be men and women and we're wandering around and we're doing our thing and, you know, I just kind of like being around you because, you know, you're actually pretty good looking. So it's better than being around the dudes because they don't look so hot. So as long as we do things together and you stay the way you are and, you know, you're a lot more attractive than the guys that would be doing this. I'm speaking from a man's perspective. That could simply be arrows. Or we could just be friends. But it doesn't take it far enough. Because the love that God wants us to have for each other and the love that he has for us is all-consuming. It's the love that's willing to die for the other person. It's the, it's the type of love that when you think about it, and probably many of you, if you have children, one of the greatest ways that you can understand this. There is a special love that exists between us as parents and our children. That's why you find the stories of, of parents rushing in front of cars to get their children out of the way and being killed themselves. That's why people jump into raging rivers only to be swept over the falls with their children. 
They're willing to do anything to save their children. God was willing to do anything to save you. And so the agape love that's in view in this particular passage is Paul is saying the greatest thing, the greatest gift, the supreme gift, the one thing that matters more than anything else is love. It's the type of love that's willing to be killed if necessary. And every great marriage is built out of actually all four of these things. It may start off as eros. It might just be physical attraction initially. But it must, by nature, develop into also phileo. It will have some general affection, some storga, but its basic component, ultimately, the reason that you see that aged couple that are caring for one another when one of them is in diapers and, and cannot do anything for themselves, but they are as happy as bugs in a rug, because that's agape. That's love that transcends the physical. That's love that transcends the mental. That is love that transcends the monetary. That is love that transcends everything else. That is love that is willing to die to oneself for the benefit of the other. It asks for nothing in return. And in fact, actually expects at times to be mistreated. We'll even go so far as to say, I'm still going to, I don't care what you do. I'm going to love you anyway. And you mean it. That's what agape love is. It's the supreme love. It's above all the rest of these types of love. It's a love that ultimately is totally selfless. Now make no mistake, it doesn't mean that the rest of those types of love, especially in marriage, aren't important. They are. But they are not the supreme love. The supreme love is the one that stops and said, if necessary, I will go to the cross for that person. I'll crucify myself. Men, do you now understand when you read Ephesians chapter 5, and it says, and husbands, love your wives as Christ has agapeoed the church, so love the church that he gave his life for it. Do you realize what he's saying there? Let me modernize it for you. When your wife has a few extra pounds, when things aren't quite as hot as they used to be at home, when you're not living in your dream house, when you're not driving your dream car, when the bank account does not quite have all the money in it, even when there have been things said that you didn't particularly care for, in fact, they were hurtful and hateful, and husbands love your wife as Christ has loved the church and given himself for it. Do you understand that? That is agape love. So when someone who claims to be a Christian walks into my office and says, I'm done. Here's what's going to happen when you're talking to Pastor Jeff. Can you tell me how that applies to you agapeoing your bride or your husband? Because as a Christian, that's your standard. It's not he said something mean to me and I don't like it. And make no mistake, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm not condoning any type of abuse. I'm saying to you that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. He was being beaten while they were yelling, 
crucify him, crucify him. We do not want this man to rule over us. So for us in marriage, we have been called to agapeo, our spouses. That means to the end, to the death. Puts it in a different perspective, doesn't it? You see, sometimes we pick up the world standard of love. Well, I'll love them as long as I'm getting something out of the relationship. Can I tell you, your Bible doesn't teach that at all? Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you are supposed to get everything you want out of every relationship you have. It says you are supposed to give everything you have to the relationship that you have. That's what it says. And where we end up usually having problems is we take the world's view, I want what I want out of this relationship, and as long as I get it, then I'm going to say that love is sufficient. If you want a recipe for unhappiness, take up that version of love. Because there's something I can tell you about humankind, you're always going to be disappointed. No one will meet your standard, and you won't meet theirs. Here's how you can solve it. You give 100% of yourself away until there's nothing left to give. And you're probably saying, well, that's impossible. You're right, it is. Save that Jesus did it for us, modeled it for us, showed us how to do it, and now he says, this is the supreme gift. The supreme gift is being able to love like that. So when someone comes to me and they say, I really want to be, I want spiritual gifting. I said, let's cut to the chase. How are you doing with love? How are you doing with loving? How are you doing with being kind and gentle and meek? How are you doing with giving yourself away? You see, sometimes we skip over this type of love, this transcendent love, this unconditional love. As we'll see in verses 4 through 8, an almost perfect description of the implementation of this type of love. You see, this type of love is not human. It's actually not human. It comes from God. It's holy love. It's, it's a type of love that can only come out of a redeemed self, out of a heart that's been so touched by the love of God that it just spills out of you. Unless anyone here be depressed because you don't Maybe you're having a little, your love quotient is kind of burned out right now. Now, Praise God for his grace, amen, in all of our lives. But that doesn't change the standard. You see, here's what happens a lot of times with us as human beings. If something looks hard, we simply lower the bar. I was a pole vaulter in high school. Pretty good one, in fact. And, And... I can only tell you that from my own personal experience, the way you get better at pole vaulting is not by putting the bar at four feet. Because I could high jump that. The way you got better at pole vaulting was putting the bar well above what you were physically capable of doing when you began to take up the sport. So in my case, that began around 10 foot, 6 inches. We used the old aluminum poles to start with. They finally brought in the nice fiberglass ones, and then now we have carbon fiber poles. Lots of stored energy in those. But the way that you got better 
was by consistently reaching for a goal that you can't reach on your own. Working towards something that you are not already there. And you went up a little increment, a little bit at a time. We would move that bar an inch at a time. It seems ridiculous once you get over 12 or 13 feet. The state record when I was in high school was 14 feet, six and a half inches. And I was at a state finals meet. And I'm watching a guy attempt that height. And I'm like, there's no way in the world. Three tries, that's what you get in pole vaulting. First time, he went underneath it. Didn't even get close. Second time, all the way over, hit the bar on the way down. The third time, he actually did clear it. You see, sometimes you just got to keep trying. Sometimes you just have to keep trying. It may not happen right away. You may not be able to die to self the first time. You may not even get close to dying to self the first time. You're going to be doing good to just storga somebody. You know, I kind of have some affection for you. As you grow in Christ, you're going to find that the goal, which is the goal that Jesus showed us on the cross, is for us to love like he loves. It's like, man, if it's necessary, hit me again. If, if it's the best for you, I'll wear that crown of thorns. If your life will be made better by me dying, I'll die. You do that in your marriage relationship, I'm telling you, you're going to be fine. Because God's word says so. Who doesn't fall in love with someone who's willing to die for them? Don't you think that the world would be a reciprocal place filled with love? If every last believer was loving like Jesus loves? If when you're looking for a spouse, you're looking for someone who loves like Jesus loves? Not just someone who's attractive or maybe has the the right type of skill set or a bank account or whatever. You want the secret to a long-lasting marriage, look for someone who loves like Jesus loves. Someone who's willing to die to self. Doesn't mean you're always going to have to do that. It doesn't mean that all of the rest of those components won't be in your relationship. It means that the supreme thing is the supreme thing. And that's loving like Jesus. Agape is made up of all of these things. But ultimately, if I have not agape, Everything else is not going to be what it needs to be. So it's love like Jesus loves. We get tested in this area, amen? I, I, I talk to our staff and, you know, they'll come in and I'll, I'll, I'll look at their face and I'll go, your love quotient got tested today, didn't it? You know, you kind of have that look like everything had turned off. Like someone pulled the plug out of the bottom of your ankle and every bit of Jesus drained out of you. That's that, that's that spiritual gifting. That being filled up with his love is that, is that spiritual gift. 
It's like being able to do what seems to be unthinkable. Being able to have compassion when you really feel like that person deserves what's happened to them. Being kind when they've actually been mean to you. That's a Jesus thing, isn't it? That's why Jesus said, be good to those who have used you. That's his love. And I pray that we live it, especially now in these days. The world needs it. They need to see it modeled. The world needs to see this kind of love modeled. Because it sees the other kinds. You can turn on your TV and you're going to see all kinds of arrows. Amen? Seriously. Candy bars, burgers, cars, I don't care what they're selling. That's going to be sold with arrows. You can see all types of, of storga. Yeah, let's get together and hang out. Be kind of cool to see you. You're, you're going to see some real phileo. Man, we can get through this together. Let's get this project done. Let's be collegiate. Let's be comrades at arms and all these things. But what the world really needs to see is Christians that are willing to die so that the world would know Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the example of all this, Lord, this seems impossible. We just confess that to you. Lord, I confess that to you. At times, it seems impossible to be able to love like this, but you have shown me that it's not impossible. That it is possible to love those who won't love you back. It's possible to, to love on people who are completely unlovable because that's what you did with me. You loved me when I was unlovable, Lord. You drew me to yourself when I didn't think anybody cared. Thank you for that kind of love, Lord. I pray that you'd make us people who love like that. Lord, that our lives would be blazing testimonies to that type of love. And so, God, we just offer up our lives, and there are areas that, Lord, no doubt need to change. And I believe tonight that there may be some here in the, in the house, Lord, that have yet to even experience that love. That love comes from you. It doesn't come from knowledge. It comes from relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And pray, maybe there's somebody here tonight that has yet to experience that love, that they would come and be prayed for even now that they receive you, Jesus, that gift of love. As the pastors come forward, Lord, maybe some of us just need to be reinvigorated for this season. Lord, it, it's hard to love in the lines at Walmart. It's tough to love when you're being honked at on the freeway. It's tough to love when the budget doesn't quite stretch as far as you want it to. It's tough to love when those unlovable people come and they're in your home and you're related to them. It's hard, Lord, and we confess that to you. And so we pray that you'd help us to, to live out agape, that more excellent way. We only love you, your word says, because you first loved us. And so, Lord, with that love wherein you have loved us, let us so love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.